Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Mack. On today's show, how President Trump might have just killed a big IPO and what to look for when Facebook settles with the U.S. government. But first, Uber gets ready to ride. This Friday, Uber is expected to go public on the New York Stock Exchange after raising around $10 billion in what would be one of the largest IPOs of all time. For the ride-hail company's early employees and investors, it's going to be life-changing, minting an untold number of millionaires and maybe even a billionaire or two. And yeah, there will be some monetary rewards for some of Uber's longest-tenured drivers, as the company followed Lyft's lead in giving out cash that drivers can either pocket or use to buy stock at the IPO price. So for those of us who have watched Uber's growth over the past decade, it also is going to be a referendum on two key issues. First, was Uber overvalued by private market investors? Remember, this company was at the vanguard of unprofitable tech startups being valued in the tens of billions of dollars. That was a very new thing before Uber. And this IPO this Friday, that's where the rubber will meet the road. Lyft so far has faltered, but Uber is a much more diversified company. It operates in a lot more countries has big stakes in other ride-hail companies, and also has revenue-generating businesses like Uber Eats for Food Delivery and Uber Freight. The second key issue is, well, morality. Uber's been a lightning rod for years due to an act-first, ask-permission-later philosophy that ultimately seemed to reflect as much about Uber's office culture as its dealings with regulators. In front of that backdrop is a growing conflict between Uber and its drivers, many of whom plan to strike this Wednesday in protest of what they consider to be unfair wages. Remember, Uber drivers aren't employees. They're contract workers, giving them much more flexibility, but virtually zero benefits or protections. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with New York Times columnist Farhad Manju, who writes that the Uber IPO is, quote, a moral stain on Silicon Valley. But first, this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the Pro Rata podcast. We're joined now by New York Times columnist Farhad Manju, who wrote on Friday that the Uber IPO is, quote, a moral stain on Silicon Valley. So, Farhad, in the story, you talk about how, from your perspective, today's Uber is more responsible than yesterday's Uber, the one that had been run by Travis Kalanick. Why is this Uber more responsible? I mean, it's slightly more responsible. It's more responsible in sort of branding and messaging. And I don't think it's, you know, as overtly reckless and kind of uh, lawless in its dealings with, you know, city regulators, with lawmakers, with uh, drivers. It's, It's sort of trying to have somewhat of a more equitable and kind of, you know, fair relationship with all the other parties. But, you know, the fundamental problem, I think, is still the same, which is that this is a company that, you know, doesn't have kind of obvious, many big obvious paths to huge profits. And in that, you know, in that scramble for profits, like only, you know, some people at the top will get most of the um, wealth created by this idea and um, a whole bunch of drivers will not. On the regulator side, you're right. Uber obviously grew up basically by going into markets where it wasn't really wanted by local officials, arguably who were kind of in the, the taxi lobby's pocket. Going back to that, in retrospect, was that immoral or, I mean, otherwise we would all still be stuck with taxis? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point that uh, many cities were kind of captured by these taxi cartels, and they you know, kept prices artificially high by limiting supply. And what Uber and Lyft did was 
um, break open those limits. And in some cases, they had to be lawless because the laws were essentially unjust and they weren't, um, you know, allowing people in. That's fine, but the kind of the um, you know the way the company ran uh, was run and the kind of internal and external dealings with um, any critics or any efforts to kind of um, smooth over some of these relationships to have it the case that you know that Uber didn't seem like the villain. Um, I feel like you know Travis kind of just blew through all those limits, um, and there were you know documented efforts that. Um, you know, they did things like through software prevent regulators and lawmakers, officials yep. of all kinds from like seeing what they were doing. Um, it was just kind of the most reckless and, you know, in some cases like actually illegal practices. You know, I think you can argue that they were trying to replace a bad system, but to replace a bad system with, you know, a terrible, another terrible system, it shouldn't make us happy. You know, from your perspective, obviously there have been some cultural changes at Uber, but but when it comes to this kind of the fundamental, the, kind of the call it the business practices, is it that the from your perspective, has the company changed because you have new leadership and Dara is CEO now as opposed to Travis? Or is it more that Travis kind of did all of that, call it dirty work, and Dara now yeah. just kind of gets to sit on top of it? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it. I mean, the other thing Travis did was he just tried to expand the company in huge ways that were kind of unsustainable. The China thing, the um, just opening up new markets in every every other, uh, you know, every city. They, they went to cities faster than Lyft did. They went to other countries faster than Lyft did. And I think Dara has tried to rein that in in some way, close down some of those um, markets, sell off, but although they have purchased other uh, other competitors. But I think they're trying to... Ret- you know, return to some more sustainable path, which I think, you know, just business-wise might be better. But you're right. I mean, in the in the growth phase of this company, you know, in the kind of move fast, break things phase, like it was Travis broke a lot. doing that and he broke all the things. And um, now Dara sort of gets to benefit from that. I mean, also Lyft gets to benefit from that. You know, Uber kind of did some of the hard, dirty work and then Lyft, you know, got into some of those markets um, behind Uber. Absolutely true. So let's talk about the driver thing. So we're, we're going to see potentially a big driver strike, both Uber and Lyft drivers. Uh, this Wednesday, there were Lyft drivers who protested ahead of their IPO. There, were, I'm sure, will be more Uber driver protests ahead of uh, this IPO Thursday night and Friday. From your perspective, th- this issue of living wage and Uber drivers is this a no-win in the end for everybody? In other words, as you say, Uber's not profitable, including on RideHail, which is its core business. Drivers are mm-hmm. not are getting, in some cases, minimum wage, sometimes arguably less than minimum wage, depending on the studies that you cite. Is there yeah. a way to fix this, that it's actually sustainable for all parties? Um, I mean, there's probably a way to address it so that you could at least get you know, ensure that they have some kind of minimum wage. I mean, I think that would make rides a little bit more expensive and perhaps make uh, Uber's path to profitability sort of slower and longer going. But it just seems that, to me, that seems like a right and moral thing to do. And, it's, it, you know, it would be complicated. But the, the fundamental issue here is that they are classified as contractors, and that seems a very ridiculous. I mean, it, it's becoming it's becoming more and more yeah less and less defensible. They work for Uber. They are their pay and sort of hours and what they do at the job is kind of completely controlled by Uber or Lyft. And you know, I've heard some people talk about some middle classification, which is what New York City's kind of done, right? They, New York City's created yeah. this kind of minimum wage specific for actually not just contractors, but for specifically for ride hail drivers. 
which right. Lyft challenged it, in court and lost. New York has this, you know, regulated version of this sort of taxi service that, you know, allows you to get Uber and Lyft. It doesn't uh, confine you to yellow taxis. So you do get, you know, riders get this convenience, but you do have some more protections for drivers. And, you know, other cities could do that or we could have some kind of, you know, federal national law or regulation that says, you know, drivers shouldn't work for below minimum wage. I mean, that's the reason we have minimum wage laws. And it seems crazy that this company that's going public, I mean, both of these companies are, you know, essentially doing it because, you know, one of their main advantages is that they don't have to obey those minimum wage laws. Bottom line here on the IPO, and I'll ask you to do some financial prognostication here. Uh, Lyft's IPO raised a lot of money. It has gone way down, down 20% or so in the aftermarket. Mm -hmm. Is Uber going to be a better investment for people who buy on day one? It's hard for me to see how it would be a better investment. I mean, Lyft seemed to have more room to grow. And I feel like this industry is becoming, you know, like the airline industry, where there are two or maybe more players around the world um, that are going to be intensely competitive. It's hard for me to see how either one is going to be. And, you know, and they, and they copy their each other's services, and they're essentially the same. I mean, I ride Lyft right now, and it's basically the same as Uber. And I don't know how you can get either one of them to be, you know, mega profitable the way we think of other tech companies, other software companies. It seems like this is going to be a long, slow slog. I don't know what's going to happen exactly with Uber's share price, but I, you know, if I were the investing type, I don't think I'd, uh, if I were allowed to invest, I don't think I'd invest. Uh, New York Times columnist Farhan Manju, thanks so much for joining us. My final two, right after this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Douyu, a Chinese company that live streams video games, kind of like Twitch here in the States. So Douyu today was supposed to begin meeting with prospective investors for its $500 million IPO, with plans to begin trading later this month in New York. But then came President Trump's weekend tweet threat about increasing tariffs on $200 billion of Chinese goods just days after the White House had kind of expressed optimism that a deal was imminent. For Douyu, that meant putting a break, a total break on the IPO process over fears about how a Chinese company going public in New York would be received at the dawn of a possible trade war. And finally, Facebook reportedly is nearing a landmark settlement with the U.S. Federal Trade Commission over its many privacy failures. Expect the headlines to be all about the dollar amount, which is expected to be between three and five billion dollars easily dwarfing the current FTC fine record of just $22 million. But as Axios' David McCabe writes today, there are several other things to watch for. First, will Facebook be forced to fundamentally change its business model, which is basically to collect user data and then let advertisers target those users? Second, how will the FTC track and analyze Facebook going forward? And as part of that, who makes sure the company remains in compliance? And three, and finally, will the settlement include a personal penalty for Mark Zuckerberg, which arguably could have as much impact on Facebook's future direction as the larger company-level fine? Because, as we all know, Zuck isn't giving up that CEO spot anytime soon. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Terrence Malangone, have a great National Crepe Suzette Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.